Well, welcome to church. Why don't you welcome someone? Say hi to someone before you sit down. Give them a high five. You know, you've been sitting next to each other silently for 20 minutes now. You might as well acknowledge each other in the room more than just the nod, right? You know what I'm talking about? Sit beside a stranger in church, you do the nod. <laughs> Classic. Woo! Well, good morning, church. My name is Matt, and uh, I'm part of the team here at Nova Church. If you're new or visiting, we're glad that you're here. If you're online, we love that you're here with us uh, via online. Sorry, Frank, I know I'm loud. Um, but we, we love that you're here. We love that if you came to visit, uh, we would love to connect with you after the service. Just like Brent was saying, go out to that wall, that big yellow wall after the service, and we would love to put a gift in your hand and say hey and everything like that. So uh, don't run out afterwards. We have free coffee. We have free coffee. So if you're like, I got to get a coffee, we got you covered. Go out, grab a coffee, meet some people. All right, turn with me in your Bible, if you got one, to the book of Philippians. We're going to go there together at the beginning of this message. And uh, we're in the middle of a series right now, as Brent was saying, where we're doing our one and done readings along with our preaching series. So what we're doing is we're taking all of the readings from the week and then we're, we're preaching on them. And so if you have been missing those readings, if you're like, oh man, this is my first week, I didn't know you were doing this. Hey, great news, join our mailing list. Tomorrow there's an email that comes out with all the readings for the week is one chapter, which takes between five and if you're like me, 25 minutes to read. Uh, people are like, 25 minutes? Yeah, guys, because I love God. So... <laughs> No, I'm just a really slow reader. My wife is like, you're still reading? One time when we tried to read like a book together, she was like, I cannot believe that you're on the same page. And we've never done it since. It was kind of weird to begin with, but it didn't work. So, um, but you know, it doesn't take very long just to carve out a little bit of time. But um, if, if you go back and listen to some of the past weeks, Pastor Mike talked so well about the power of being in the word of God. See, we believe that this is more than just a book. We believe that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that God helped the authors who wrote these various different books, various different literature types, to speak to us today so that the truth of who God is and what he's done can be communicated to us. But most of all, it reveals Jesus. It reveals Jesus, who is the Word made flesh. And so we, we highly prioritize the Bible here at Nova. We would love for you to join in. We're going to be in First and Second Thessalonians this week, and we're going to read through those, and then we're done. And then when you're done, you can go back. You can go all the way through. Does anyone remember the title of our series? God's Electric Power Company Tackles Troubles. And if you're like, and, and literally, Pastor Mike is like, horrible name, helpful series. <laughs> but this is what this means. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. See, it's an acronym. So if you're like, ooh, I could be like that really impressive person who knows the order of books in the Bible. Well, not all of them, but you, you got some right here, all right? Six books in the Bible. So we would love for you to join in with that. Make sure you go back and listen to the past messages and, uh, and, and make sure that you're in the Word, all right? So we're going to go to Philippians this morning. But first, let's pray. And then uh, we're going to chat a little and we'll get into it. So would you just pray with me as we get started this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you want to speak to us. God, that you don't want us to be stumbling around in the dark trying to figure this out on our own, having to come up with the way to live well generation to generation, but that by your goodness, you revealed your way and yourself to people. And they wrote it down and recorded it 
by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. So, Father, we pray that we would hear what you're speaking. God, may my words, my wisdom, my knowledge fall to the floor, be forgotten. But what you're speaking, what you want to say, we ask that it would be louder than any voice. Take root in our hearts and cause it to grow and produce fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this past Sunday, um, I have to, uh, you know, I'm up here on stage, so I should just confess some stuff to you. I had a moment of envy. <laughs> I just, you know, I just got to get this off my chest before I preach. But uh, one, of the, one of the members of our church posted a picture of their son standing on a picnic table up at Martok in their snowboard gear. And I literally immediately was like, oh, I'm so jealous. I literally messaged this person and said, oh, I'm so jealous. I need to get my boys up. And so like all day I'm like walking around and I'm like, oh, man, I want to go snowboarding. I got to get, I got to get Leo snowboarding. He's my six-year-old and he's ready. He's ready. And so I, I like kind of just floated it by Emma. I'm like, hey, how would you feel about me taking Leo snowboarding? And she was like, I mean, that would be fine. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of expensive. And she's like, no, it'd be fine. And I was like, okay, all right, okay. Well, hey, I've been looking at the weather forecast, and um, it's going to warm up later in the week. So how would you feel about me pulling them out of school on Monday and just taking them up? And to my amazement, she was like, yeah, you could do that. I was like, yes. So I got my six-year-old son to cut school, and we went up to Martok. It was the best day ever. And let me tell you something. I was just like, oh, he's going to be such a natural. I'm a pretty good snowboarder. I like to think that I'm a pretty good teacher, not to get cocky, but like God's given me some skills in communicating. So I was like, it'll be fine. We'll get him up there. It'll be good. My wife was like, we're not buying him gear because there's a really good chance he hates it and never does it again, right? And I was like, okay, we'll rent the first time. So we get up there and, and like we get him in and I'm like, all right, buddy, we're going to go snowboard. And I was like, okay, get your bindings on. And then he's like, what are bindings? And I was like, Oh, the things you put your feet in. He's like, okay. And then he has the board turned backwards, and he's trying to put the wrong foot backwards in the board. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, we got so I'm like picturing in my mind getting out on that bunny hill, and he's just like carving back and forth, you know, doing like a little bit of kickoff of his tail, doing a 180, and being like, Dad, look at this. I'm riding switch. And I'd be like, sick, man. Let's go. We're going to the big hill. And then reality set in, and I was like, oh, you know nothing, Right. So I first put his foot in the front binding, and I was like, all right, buddy, we're going to try to scoot. And then he puts his foot, like, in front of his board, and is trying to, like, push himself backwards. And it looked awkward because it's completely wrong, right? And I was like, wow, that's really awkward. So I was like, no, 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 dude. And I, and I realized that just simply saying, hey, Leo, snowboard was not going to work. He needed some more instruction than that, see? The goal was to snowboard, but the reality was that he needed to know some of the knowledge that I just had intuitively after all my years snowboarding. When I get on a snowboard, I don't even need to think about what I'm doing to carve down a hill. It just comes naturally. It's in my muscle memory. I don't need to think about scooting on my snowboard on and off lifts because it's normal. But the first time he hits the magic carpet, the magic carpet hit him. You know what I'm saying? It was like boom, 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 boom. And then they like pause the lift and he's like, what happened? He's all embarrassed. I was like, you're fine. You're fine, right? But we finally get him up the hill. And then I realized that I needed to be communicating all the things he needs to do, you know? So it's like, hey, buddy, like... 
put your weight a little bit more on your front foot because you're sliding out and like you need to bend your knees a little bit. Because I, has, I was wearing such baggy snow pants, I was like, I miss baggy pants. I'm just going to live high school. So I went and bought some baggy pants just to live out my snowboard life once again. But I got, I, got, I got them going, and eventually, you know, I'm, I'm telling them all about, like, catching a heel edge and getting on your toe side and, and how to turn. And, you know, he's still not a pro, but at least he's understanding how to be on the snowboard. And sometimes in our faith, when you hear, follow Jesus, you know, it's a little bit like saying to my six-year-old, like, snowboard. Because we're like, follow Jesus. You're like, absolutely. Where is he? Where am I going? Right? And you're like, well, no, 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 following Jesus, like, you know, it's kind of like an expression, like, follow the will of Jesus. Uh-huh. So what's the will of Jesus? You're like, well, you got to go, go read the Bible, okay, go read the Gospels. And you're like, okay, okay, so you go read the Gospels, you're like, okay, I like this Jesus. Um, but there's still some things that I don't really fully understand how to do. Like, I got the scoot down, I got some of the basics down of following Jesus, but I don't really know how to implement some of the things that he's telling me to implement. Have you read this guy? He, he says some pretty hard stuff. He's like, if you look at a woman lustfully, you, you've committed adultery, so you should pluck out your eye and cut off your hand, and you're like, what? <laughs> right? And if you're like wondering what that is, come talk to me afterwards. This is, you know, it's hyperbole, all right? We'll, we'll talk about it. But, but the thing is that when it comes to following Jesus, sometimes it's like, how do you follow Jesus? And I was on this snowboard hill, and let me tell you, there were some parents that were like, just, just stand up. To their kids, and their kids like, I can't. And they're like, just stay standing. And they stand up, and then the board is like, whoop, and it just takes off, and they're like, ah! like they just can't communicate it another way. Here's the great news: the writers of the New Testament are great coaches, and they want to help you follow Jesus. So this whole series that we've been going through, if you were to really boil it down to one thing, it is Paul who basically writes all of these letters even though he has some scribal help with Timothy and stuff like that, he, he's writing these letters to say, hey, this is how you follow Jesus. I'm not just saying, hey, follow Jesus, be better, do better. Stop sinning. He's like, I'm going to show you how to get there. I'm going to show you how to bend your knees. I'm going to show you how to catch an edge. I'm going to show you how to cut into your faith in an effective way. And so we're going to pick it up Right in Philippians 3, because that's where we left off last week. We finished Philippians 2. And uh, we're going to read it together. It's going to come up on the screen behind me. This starts awesome. Check this out. Watch out for those dogs. <laughs> those people who do evil. Those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Welcome to church this morning. It's great to have you. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. What he's talking about is we're set apart for God. We don't need something in the flesh to say that we're set apart for God because in our hearts we are truly devoted and set apart for God. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Now, I love this because, you know, sometimes you meet those Christians that you're like, oh, you're a Christian, and you did not know, and you would not know. And even after knowing, you're like, I don't, okay, yep. What Paul is saying is, oh, I'm the christian Christian. Particularly in this case, he's a first century Christ-believing Jew. Okay? So he, as a Jewish Christian who has put his faith in Jesus, checks all the religious boxes. You ever met that Christian? You know what I'm talking about? The Jesus, the like 
little fish bumper sticker that they got. They got the Christian radio bumper sticker on their car. They're always carrying their Bible around, you know. Every single place they go, they only listen to CCM. They don't ever listen to anything but CCM. And to not listen to CCM would be a crime. And if you don't know what CCM is, trust me, they do, all right? Christian contemporary music, right? Like, that's what they are all about, right? The way that they speak is a little bit different. Paul is saying, that's me. That's actually, I'm that guy. Indeed, if others have a reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Check this out. This is his resume. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees. These, these cats were like the religious elite, you know? These are like the angry preachers that you see online that are like, nobody's a real Christian except for us. Paul was one of these guys, all right, who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. The, the Pharisees actually demanded that even regular Jewish people followed the law of the priests. So they weren't calling people to the standard that God had for them. They were calling them to a much higher standard that they were imposing on them, okay? I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Then check this out. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness though, uh, through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. The first thing that we get from Coach Paul here, if you want to write it down, is this. Where'd it go? It was here. Take out the trash. That's, that's what it is. Take out the trash. See, that word that Paul uses there, uh, the, the last one that he says, I count it all garbage. He's actually, the, the different word that, that could go in there is actually poop, you know. Paul is, Paul is being quite graphic here. He's saying, compared to Jesus, my righteousness and my effort and my way of doing things and how religious I look and all of my own human excellence is poop. It's garbage. It's trash. And what Paul is saying, is, is Paul saying that those things are bad? No, he's not saying that those things are bad. He's not saying that it's bad to live righteously. He's not saying that it's bad to follow Jewish customs, particularly if you were born into Jewish uh, lineage. But what he's saying is that's not what makes us Christians. Particularly to the Gentile audience that he's writing this to, he's saying, no, no, no. What makes you a Christian is that you put your faith in Jesus. Don't rely on your own effort and don't try to make it about things that have nothing to do with what actually takes to be saved. He is saying, I'm in this club that's very elite, that has done all the righteousness. Chances are that Paul would say, I'm actually better than you. But what he's saying is, but I'm not better than you. Because what makes me good has nothing to do with me. It has all to do with my faith in Jesus. Let me ask you this question, church. What qualifies you to stand before God? What qualifies you to stand before God and sit before him and be in his presence and be in relationship with him? Is it that you didn't sin last week? 
Is, is it that you were like, well, Lord, I stopped listening to Coldplay because they got weird, <laughs> which is true. But is it, is it that you're like, Lord, I only, I only listen to Christian artists? You know what? I even think that some of the Christian artists are not Christian enough, so I only listen to worship artists. Because some of those other guys are still writing love songs, and I know that's not from you, right? Is that what qualifies us to stand before God? Is it that you, like, serve on the dream team three weeks out of the month? And you're like, I just serve for God. I'm just doing it for God. Look at me. Look at my accolades. I'm like a, an absolute servant. Now, are any of those things bad? No, but that's not what qualifies you to stand before God. Is, what, is it what you do for God? Is it that you only listen to Christian music? Is it that you would never use those words that you know you shouldn't use? Is it that you're a Bible college graduate or you've studied the Bible and taken some courses? Is it that you're a pastor? Is that what qualifies me to stand before God? That I'm a staff member at a church? What Paul is saying is that compared to knowing Jesus, none of these things matter. They're garbage. Church, the invitation of Paul is to make sure that we're not making trash compared to knowing Jesus, the thing that we're focused on. The number one thing that makes us good before God is his son, Jesus. And the number one thing that Jesus invites us to do is abide in him, John 15, to be with him, to be in his presence, to have relationship with him. In fact, in Matthew 7, there's, Jesus says, in the, in, the, in the final days, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And Jesus says, and I'll turn to them and say, get away from me because I didn't know you. I mean, hand check, when's the last time someone here cast out a demon? See, because it's not about your works. Jesus is saying, it's not about your works. It's not about what you do. It's about knowing me. So church, we need to know him. We need to take out the trash as our priority and just focus on Jesus. Second thing that we see in chapter four is we, we need to look where we want to go. You know, it's funny, teaching Leo, it's hysterical, whether it's riding a bike or being on a snowboard, it's amazing when kids get going that they look where they don't want to go. You ever notice that? Like they're like, oh no, the edge, the edge. And they're looking right at the edge and they're moving over and you're like, stop looking at the edge. Look away, right? And you're like, look where you want to go. And I had to have this conversation with Leo. I was like, Leo, you're going to go where you're looking. You need to look where you want to go, not where you don't want to go. You know, anxiety is at an all-time high in our culture, isn't it? Mental health issues are at an all-time high in our culture. And I wonder if part of the reason is because we're so focused on those things that we actually end up gravitating towards them. We're like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be anxious. I don't want to be depressed. I don't want to be stressed out. But at the same time, we're looking at all of these things, taking in the information from our eyes that is causing us to become like that. I was speaking with a girl in our church who was saying that she, out of all of her friends, is the only one who is not medicated for anxiety. Now, this is not a tirade against medication. It has a place. It has a time. But for that to be the normal basis for our culture, that people are just going, well, yeah, you struggle with anxiety. This person literally said to me, you know how you always think that, like, people don't like you? I was like, uh, no. 
I think people like me. She's like, what? Well, you know how you always think that things are just going to go wrong? No. <laughs> I, do, I don't think that, as a matter of fact. And Paul in Philippians 4 identifies that we can do this in our faith walk. We can either look at the good things or we can look at the bad things. You know, we like to focus on the things that are going wrong. Maybe you're like you're the kind of person that likes to focus on the things that could go wrong when everything's still going right. You know, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. I want to just invite you, that is not the way of Jesus. This is not a criticism of you because you're just swimming in the cultural current that is our world. It's not really your fault. But I want to invite you. Paul is saying there's a better way. Look at this in Philippians 4. It says this. Verse 6 in Philippians 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. When you see something that causes you anxiety, what Paul is saying is give that to God. And can I tell you something? The way that our social media exists, the way that our media exists for that matter, there's not a lot of good news out there. You know what I'm talking about? Whether it's wars or rumors of wars or what's going on with the economy or what's going on with, oh my goodness. If I hear one more Canadian be like, man, aren't you concerned about what's happening with the American elections? I can't control that. And you know what? I can't control what's happening in Israel. And you know what? I can't control what's happening in Ukraine. And you know what? I can't control what is happening with our economy. But you know who can? Do you know who can actually impact it? What does Paul say? He says, give it to God. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. What this means is that when we receive something that makes us feel anxious, our job is to go, oh, man, I, I don't like that. God, here, you take this. You, you take it, because I can't do anything. Lord, I can't stop the war in Ukraine. Lord, I can't stop the war in Israel and Gaza. Lord, I can't help the hundreds and hundreds of people who are homeless in our cities in and of myself. I need wisdom. I, I, I just feel overwhelmed by everything going wrong, and I need you to do something about this. And Paul is saying, and now, dear brothers, this is in verse 8, now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. See, Paul is saying, take those things that stress you out. Say, God, you take this, and then go find the good things to look at. Set your eyes on where you want to go, not everything that could go wrong. When you find something that could go wrong, give it to God, and then find the good things. This is what Paul is inviting us to do. Look where we want to go. Don't look where you don't want to go. Maybe that means turning off your news feed for a bit. Maybe that means getting off social media for a bit. Maybe that means that those friends who are always negative, you know what I'm talking about? My dad told me a story where one of his friends of 40 years, he said, whenever I talk to you, I feel so anxious afterwards, I don't think we can talk anymore. Now, I'm not saying to go that far. I laughed because I was like, that is wild. But what I am saying is maybe you need to steer the conversation. Maybe you need to go, you know what, let's not talk about that. That's bringing me down. Let's actually talk about the good things, whatever is honorable and right and true and pure and lovely and admirable. That's what we need to focus on. Maybe we just need to be the ones who are actually setting the temperature in our conversations instead of being thermometers that are coming down to the conversation. Because we have the hope of glory in us, church. If we can't think of anything good to look at, we got bigger problems.
Then we go into the book of Colossians. Now, this is a cool letter because Paul has never met these people. Uh, the Philippian church he was part of, he was there, you know, he helped found it, he helped get it going. But the Colossian church, he's actually never been there. And Paul, at the time that he writes his letter, is imprisoned in Rome. He senses that the end is coming. He knows he's going to die soon. And he writes this letter because this pastor comes to visit him and sits down and he's bragging on his church. Man, our church is amazing. You know, your pastors do this. Whenever our pastors go and speak anywhere or they go on a trip and they're with other pastors, we're like, man, Nova Church is just epic. Like, our people are hungry for God. They like, you know, I mean... You know, they could get here 10 minutes earlier for worship, but they are hungry for God because that's what ends up happening. You talk about the good things, but then you also start to talk about some of the things you're like, we could, we could see some improvement here. And this is not a new thing. This is what happens with Paul. The pastor is sitting down with Paul, and after he's talking about the good things, he's like, man, this is some of the, like, the challenges coming up against our church. This is some of the challenges that we're seeing. Some people are even walking away from their faith because of the pressure that they're experiencing. Some people are giving in to false teaching. And so Paul decides to write this letter by being like, guys, you, you know, like maybe, and maybe this pastor is the kind of pastor who's like, I keep saying to them, Paul, follow Jesus, make him Lord, but they just don't seem to get it. They just keep falling down. And Paul's like, well, I'm going to, I'm just going to do a little coaching. You take this back with you. And he gives them this coachly advice. And it starts with this in, in chapter one, verse 15, it says this, remember, or it doesn't say this. This is my point. Remember who and what? Remember who and what. Starting in verse 15, Paul writes this epic poem which draws from the Psalms and prophets and Old Testament as the anchor point for this entire letter. If you're wondering, from verse 15 all the way to verse 20 is a poem that Paul has written that has gleaned from the Old Testament to talk about who God is and what he has done. And what Paul is saying is that that is the basis for your whole Christian walk. You need to know who God is and what he's done, or you are never going to follow him faithfully and never going to follow him well. Look at this in verse 20. It says, and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He's talking about Jesus. You can go back and read the other five verses later. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. My God, that is a deep theological point. 21, this includes you who were once far away from God. Once far away from God, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That's what Jesus has done. Church, you're faultless in his presence. You're faultless. No, Pastor Matt, you don't understand. You don't understand what I've done. I'm still making up for some of my past. It's part of the reason I'm here today. I feel like I need to be in church because of what I used to do. <laughs> you should come to church to be with Jesus and be in community because you're not doing anything in your own strength. What makes you righteous and pure is what Jesus did for you. See, not only is he trying to remind the Philippians of who God is and what he's done, he's trying to not, what he's trying to do is not just tell them to be obedient, but he's trying to give them a cause for their faith. We have a strong cause for our Christian faith. Maybe sometimes you, you hear people saying, well, that's for weak people. That's a crutch for people to lean on. You know, that's superstition. But actually, there's a robust, deep cause for our faith 
in Jesus. Church, if you're feeling drained in your faith, maybe you're having a hard time keeping going, maybe you're having a hard time continuing to serve, maybe you're feeling the pressure from culture or family or friends to walk away from your faith in Jesus, come back to this passage. Come back to this passage. Write it down. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Come back to this poem. Print it out. Have it memorized. Laminate it. Stick it on your fridge. Stick it in your bathroom. Stick it wherever you need to do in order to be reminded and remember who God is and what he has done. We need to remember the who and what of our faith if we're ever going to follow well. Or else it's like that's optional. But when we understand what Jesus has done, it's like there is no option (laughs) but to follow you. The next thing that we see in the next chapter is that transformation is greater than legal obligation. See, it's hard following rules. Anyone find that? I I feel like when I talk to my kids about rules, they're just like, oh, so that's what I should do. And I'm like, why? You know, you're like, stay out of the pantry. They're like, absolutely. Open the pantry. You're like, did you hear me? They're like, oh, I heard you. (laughs) You're like, okay, what is it about a human heart that is just disobedient to rules? It's almost like, you know that expression, rules are made to be broken? Why? That's nonsense. Rules are typically there to keep you safe. And you don't believe me? Go, don't follow road rules. Cross that yellow line into oncoming traffic. Just see what happens. Run that red light. Just see what happens. Rules are there for a reason. And God has given us rules and and things to follow and guidelines for a reason because he wants us to have abundant life. But let me tell you something. It's hard following rules. Especially when you want to break the rules. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Anyone else? You know Paul actually went through this? Go read the book of Romans where Paul's like, I find myself doing what I don't want to do. And the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. So if I keep doing the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I want to do, have mercy on me. Who can save me? And the answer is Christ Jesus. That's where he goes in the book of Romans. See, the reality is this. Maybe you've heard teenagers in the room Maybe not even teenagers, young adults, midlife adults. Maybe you heard you shouldn't get drunk. You're like, oh, yeah, that's the rule. That's the rule, yep. But your friends are like, man, just come to the party. It's going to be fine. Just fit in a little bit. You're good. You go to church, man. You serve. What does it matter if you cut loose a little on a Friday? Isn't your God all about forgiveness, right? And you're like, the thing is I know the rule, but, man, I want to break the rule. I actually want to do the wrong thing. I, I, wanna, I want to do what I want to do. And you know you shouldn't, but you've, and you've heard the verses. Or like maybe you want to be faithful in marriage, but you spent 10 years in a porn addiction previously. And you're like, when I get married, it's going to be fine. Because that thought path has just been put in your mind, has been burned into your mind. It's become a habit that you need rescuing from. And you know the rule? You know what Jesus said about lust. I opened the sermon with it. Pluck out that eye. Cut off that hand. And you're like, gee. The thing is, I know the rule. But I also know my desire. And I just can't seem, even though I know the rule, to just say no to that desire. And it could be any sin. It could be anything in between. It could be small. It could be big. But here's the reality. Just knowing the rules and having our own willpower is just not enough to save us. It's not enough to adhere to what is right. We need to be transformed on the inside. Paul is specifically talking about the law, once again, of circumcision and people trying to bring to the Philippian church some of the Jewish food laws as well. 
And what, he, what he's saying is those things won't keep you from sin. Look at this in verse 20 of chapter 2. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep following the rules of the world? Such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. He's talking about food here specifically. But what he's saying is, why are you following all of these man-made rules that the Pharisees are trying to impose on people that God didn't give these people? Why are you just trying to look like more of a Christian? Why are you trying to just look a little bit better on the outside? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion. It's a good thing, isn't it? Pious self-denial and severe bodily discipline. And you're like, but Paul, isn't that good? But listen to this. They provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Church, just following rules will not change you. It's not enough. Behavior modification will never change you. It can be helpful in some ways. It's helpful to have accountability and have people calling you out. It's helpful, but at the end of the day, you could look like an absolute perfect Christian, and in your heart, nothing has changed. You've just gotten better at hiding what's inside. And what does Paul say about that? Paul's solution is this. Leave death in its grave and embrace new life. Chapter 3, verse 1 starts like this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. See what he's doing again? Didn't we just read about that? Where we put our focus is where we go. He's saying, focus on Jesus. Get your eyes up. Get your eyes off of just trying not to sin. Get your eyes on Jesus. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden in Christ God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you shall share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Just welcome to church again. So glad you're here. But then look what he keeps saying. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. Let's just hit pause. If you find yourself still doing those things, you may want to ask the question, is part of me still part of this world? Do I need to give that to Jesus? Do I need to surrender that to his lordship in my life? Do I need to let that go? But now it's time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. How, how are we renewed? What does Paul say? Being with Jesus. Learning to know your creator. Church, the whole reason we're reading the Bible is to know him better. The whole reason we're coming into church and worshiping together is to know Jesus better. It's to be with him. To become like him. And do the stuff that he does. But the first part of that is to just be with Jesus. Romans 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
The Greek word for that is metamorpho. It means to be changed on the inside as a result of being with. Transformation comes from being with Jesus, not just following rules, not just trying to do it on our own. And then in verse, or in chapter 4, it says, I'm going to, this is my point here. Faithfully extrapolate. Now, if you're like, what does that mean? Let me, let me just explain this to you. I'm going to read this in verse 9. <laughs> and you're going to be like, that wouldn't be the verse that I would have picked to talk about. But let's go with it. It says this in verse 9. I am also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus, that's a sick way of saying that word, Tychicus, will tell you everything that's happened here. Now, you're like, what is this verse? Now, you got to remember, this was a letter that didn't have chapters breaking it up when it was written. So if you were to track back to chapter 3 and verse 18, when Paul is talking about the Roman household, this is typically a verse that upsets a lot of people. Because it says, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, we're not going to dig into this too much, but I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory. The Roman family unit was a core part of Roman culture. And here's how it worked. There was gods, gods, the man, and everybody else. The husband of a household was able to legally view his wife as property, his children as property, and then his slaves as property. And that was the hierarchy of the property that is owned. His wife was the best property, his kids were slightly worse property, and the slaves were very low property. And what Paul is actually doing in this verse is he's flipping on his head that Roman household system. When Paul says, wives, honor your husband, what he is saying is, it's not about hierarchy. You should honor your husband. Love him. And then he says, and husbands, lay down your life for your wife as Christ does for the church. Now, understand, this was a revolutionary thing to say. In fact, this way of the Roman household shift is what ends up changing the Roman Empire from the inside out. Christians in home settings that instead of saying, you're my property, were like, you're my, you're my co-laborer. You are part of the family of Christ with me. You're a person. This was revolutionary. And Paul is flipping this on his head. It, it was actually about looking at your kids and going, you are made in God's image. And you have a purpose. And you're a person. Revolutionary. And it goes so far that even the slave that you owned... And it was very different than like the chattel slavery of the United States in like the, the 1700s and 1800s and up into the 1900s basically. It was very different than that. It was, more, it was more about labor and it wasn't supposed to be owned property. And what Paul is actually saying is treat them like employees, don't treat them like property because they're also your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this verse that I read, we have two people here, Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of your own people, and then Tychicus. Now, Onesimus, if you were to go read the book of Philemon, was a slave that ran away from his owner. And what Paul is saying in this verse is, this is now your brother. And when he comes back to you, don't punish him, don't treat him worse, because he's one of us. To faithfully extrapolate what is happening in the Bible, we need to do what Paul did with the Roman household. What is it in our culture 
that grieves the heart of God. Because the Roman household was not from God. It was not made by God or ordained by God. In fact, it made God sad, which is why when, when Paul writes this letter, he reorders the household to say, this is the way that we should do it in Christ. That we are equal in Christ. That we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So what is it in our culture that we need to address? Culturally speaking, when we leave here on Sunday, chances are that we're going home to our own house. You, you ever heard the expression, every man's home is his castle? But maybe where we need to shift the culture is to say, actually, I believe that this house is a gift from God that is for my brothers and sisters. Maybe it means that we need to be a church that practices hospitality in the face of a culture that is so lonely and so atomized into individualism that we're not even 100% sure what community looks like. Did you know that in the UK they've appointed a loneliness minister? Church, what if this is a hurt in our culture that needs the church to extrapolate this principle of flipping culture on its head and saying, but there's a culture of the kingdom which is good and true and beautiful that I'm focused on bringing down here to this earth and I'm going to invite you into it. Church, I want to invite you, like Paul's inviting you, to flip the script on culture. To not live as the culture does, but to live according to his culture, kingdom culture, heavenly culture. And that's how we could be a witness to the world around us. But if you were to back it up and just talk about all of these things together, there's one thing that lies at the center. Jesus and his way. It all comes back to living a good life, living a satisfying life. It starts with following Jesus and living his way whether it's taking out the trash, whether it's the fact that we don't rely on our own rules and our own strength, but we trust in the work of Jesus, it starts with knowing him. At the core of it all is a relationship with God where we can hear his heartbeat and what he desires. Even if we're gonna flip culture on its head and do things differently, we need to know the way of Jesus. Being set free from your sin and your shame so that you can be transformed on the inside starts with knowing Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to bow our head and close our eyes. I'm just going to invite some people this morning. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe if when I was talking through this sermon, you're like, man, there are, there are some parts of me that honestly, I don't think I know Jesus. I'm following Christian rules. But I don't know that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He's certainly a good life coach. He's certainly a good therapist. He's a great teacher. But I want to invite you this morning to make him his, your Lord and your Savior, to set you free from the sin and shame that you've struggled with and tried to get over and tried to get over and it just hasn't worked, so you've hidden it deeper and deeper. He can set you free. He can transform you on the inside. He can give you new life. He can give you a new mind and a new heart. But it starts with knowing him. So I want to invite you, if that's you in this place, if you want to start a relationship with Jesus, here's the great news. What we need to do is we need to call on the name of Jesus. We just, we just call out to him to say, Jesus, would you save me from my sin? Would you forgive me for my sin? We're told that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and that he was crucified for our sin and raised from the grave, we will be saved. 
And so if that's you, I just want to know who I'm praying for. And I'm going to, I'm going to walk you through a prayer. I would love to chat with you afterwards. But if you're in this place and you want to accept Jesus as your Lord, you want to give your life to him, could you just put your hand up high enough, long enough for me to see it? No one's looking around. Yeah, I see that hand. I see that hand. Anyone else that you, yeah, I see that hand. You want to accept Jesus. I'm just taking a minute to pause here because this is the best decision you can make to say, look, I don't want to live on my own anymore. I want you. I don't want to just try to figure out snowboarding on my own. I want you. I don't want to just try to follow you on my own. I want you. Anyone else? All right, if you, if you raised your hand, but why don't we all pray this together? But if you raised your hand in particular, can we just pray this together? Say, dear Jesus, come on all together. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your sacrifice. God, even though I may not fully understand it, I want to trust you. And I want to step out, like Paul said, in faith. I want to accept you as my Lord and as my Savior. So I confess that I have sinned, but I believe that because of what you did, because you rose, that you died on the cross, and because you rose again, I can receive new life, I can be forgiven, and I can be transformed. So I accept you now, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, can we give it up for these people that made that decision? That is the best decision you could possibly make. Hey, if you did put up your hand, I, I'm gonna sit right up here in this front row. I would love to chat with you about that decision. Basically what we've done is we've just got your feet right in the bindings. And there's a journey. This is, this is the starting line of a beautiful journey with Jesus. But here's the great news. Even if you're starting that journey, your sin is done. It's gone. You're forgiven. And that's the amazing news about Jesus. If you don't want to come talk with me, I understand it can be sometimes intimidating. At the yellow wall out there, you can just say, I made a decision to follow Jesus. The team out there is amazing. They would love to get you hooked up with some resource to help you understand reading your Bible, understanding how to pray. We've got a great thing on our website for that, and we would love to start that journey with you well. All right, church, that's us. So I'm going to pray for you as you go. You ready? This is going to be a quick prayer. Lord, hold back the snow and send it to Moncton. But God, bless our time together in the lobby. Lord, help us be your church. And Father, help us walk this out well as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. We'll see you next week. Go grab a coffee. It's free and flowing. We'll see you later. <laughs>